All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is the introduction for episode 126. Jason Lindgren and I are basically going to be talking about, hmm, how can I put this? Well, what happens uh, when emergencies happen? Does anyone really ever think about that? Uh, we're going to go down the accepted timeline that outlines exactly what the plans are in states of emergency. And I think everyone will be quite astonished to learn a few things they've probably never thought about. And I think Jason will actually open up using the first three or the prequels of the Star Wars, it's well beyond a trilogy now, to outline exactly what we're talking about, because in many respects, that storyline outlines exactly what we're talking about. Let's jump in with Jason Lingrid for episode 126 and talk about states of emergency. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. Uh, this is episode 126. We're gonna. T- Jason Lingren is with me, by the way. Um, we're gonna talk about things that I think people, off to one side of their mind, understand are going on. But when you look at them carefully, you realize these ideas have been echoed out in popular culture. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. Good morning, Crow. So how are we going to set the table here? Why don't we fake like we're infinitely programmed, that we can't separate our minds from Hollywood? Let's talk about Star Wars. What do you say? Sure. Let's, let's open with that. So the subject we're going to cover today, we're going to discuss FEMA and the continuity of government and the programs and laws and all those things that are set up in the United States government to deal with disasters and emergencies. But the thing I'd like to point out to everyone who is familiar with Star Wars, which is most people, is that in in the prequels, episodes 1, 2, and 3, the entire storyline, the backstory line, ignoring all the spaceships and space opera going on, is a political story. The bad guy, Senator Palpatine, has an entire scheme, a long game set up over the course of several years, in which... He is going to take over everything and turn what's the Republic, the Galactic Republic, into the first Galactic Empire with himself in control. So what does he do? He sets up a bunch of false flag narratives to create total chaos. And from that chaos, he is going to, one step at a time, take over everything and become first the Supreme Chancellor and then at the very end, declaring himself Emperor. And if you really are capable of just overlooking all of the space stuff, all of the science fiction-y stuff, you can see it's just a bunch of political things. He creates a trade dispute that ends into a battle that then turns into a war. Then that war drags on, and he keeps getting himself voted more and more executive powers until he literally is the only authority left in the entirety of the government that we see in these movies until... At the very end, he wipes out all opposition because he's had it all set up this whole time and is the emperor and no one else can touch him. So so wait a minute here, Jason. Not only is the Star Wars universe teaching us all about what space is, but it's also pre-echoing uh, the road we're on here on so-called planet Earth. It sure is. And what's interesting is episode one, The Phantom Menace, came out in 1999, two years before the events of 9-11. Well, let's count the ways, 1999. So I think, you know, that's a that's a okay opener. I had to let you do it because I'm not familiar enough. You know, I know the first Star Wars or two, but uh, the later ones I can't really stomach. So I saw some of them once. But anyhow, uh, let's just jump right in. There's a couple articles that we're going to reference as we ease into FEMA here. And this is matter of fact. This is an adult conversation. Um, let's see if we can lay it down without finding any trouble along the path. So the first one is from the ACLU. The Trump administration wants more spying power, and Congress appears poised to give it to them. Touting national security to justify spying powers that jeopardize our constitutional rights is a strategy that we have seen before. It happened with the Patriot Act after 9-11, and members of Congress and government officials are now employing similar arguments again. This time, it involves a drone bill that some in Congress are pressing to be sneakily inserted into a larger piece of legislation that could be considered this month. According to news reports, members of Congress are lobbying to add the Preventing Emerging Threats Act of 2018 to the Federal Aviation Agency Reauthorization Act. Proponents of the bill claim that it will make our country safer. But in reality, the drone legislation will give new surveillance powers to the Trump administration to spy on journalists, activists, 
and other Americans without a warrant. So the main things, uh, what, what was the date on this one, Jason? This is September 17th, 2018. Okay, as, and the, it's the other one that I'm thinking of, the implementation date, but the, I thought it was critical to do this because you can see what this article is doing. Um, it's eroding the idea of a constitution before anything even happens. So the idea in play here is either we have a constitution or we don't. And in this article, they not only state that the president is going to further erode a so-called supposed constitution, but that it's already been done before with the Patriot Act. Um, so it goes to show uh, most people in the United States grew up thinking that that the Constitution was the be-all and end-all. As a matter of fact, you can go out into any media source to this day and see the Constitution being held up as the be-all and end-all, and yet we see the truth of it here, don't we, Jason? Yes, we do. And just to freak everyone out a little bit, we have another article, or perhaps I should say a little bit more. The IPAWS National Test of the Emergency Alert System and Wireless Emergency Alerts. The test has been postponed to the backup date of October 3rd, 2018, beginning at 2.18 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. The Federal Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA, in coordination with the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, will conduct a nationwide test of the emergency alert system and wireless emergency alerts on the backup date of October 3rd, 2018, due to ongoing response efforts to Hurricane Florence. The WEA portion of the test commences at 2.18 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, and the EAS portion follows at 2.20 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. The test will assess the operational readiness of the infrastructure for distribution of a national message and determine whether improvements are needed. The WEA test message will be sent to cell phones that are connected to wireless providers participating in WEA. This is the fourth EAS nationwide test and the first national WEA test. Previous EAS national tests were conducted in November 2011, September 2016, and September 2017 in collaboration with the FCC, broadcasters, and emergency management officials in recognition of FEMA's, of FEMA's National Preparedness Month. The EAS is a national public warning system that provides the president with the communications capability to address the nation during a national emergency. The test is made available to EAS participants such as radio and television broadcasters, cable systems, satellite radio and television providers, and wireline video providers, and is scheduled to last approximately one minute. The test message will be similar to regularly monthly EAS test messages with which the public is familiar. The EAS message will include a reference to the WEA test. This is a test of the National Emergency Alert System. This system was developed by broadcast and cable operators in voluntary cooperation with the Federal Emergency Management Agency, the Federal Communications Commission, and local authorities to keep you informed in the event of an emergency. If this had been an actual emergency, an official message would have followed the tone alert you heard at the start of this message. A similar wireless emergency alert test message has been sent to all cell phones nationwide. Some <laughs> cell phones will receive the message, others will not. No action is required. <laughs> wow, man, truly, we live in the age of convenience, right? We can get fear porn right to our pocket, prepackaged from the government, uh, headed for a new day here. But, Jason, I need to be a broken record. What's the date at the top of this article? When, 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 when are they going to turn on uh, the pocket-born fear porn that will hit every pocket in America? This one, it was originally supposed to be coming up this week, I believe, but this article is the uh, amended version, and they're bumping it to October 3rd. 2018 because of the hurricane now hitting in the Carolinas. Right. So I just needed to say, let me count the ways for anyone who gives a damn. This is, of course, the new launch date. It never ends. Uh, what's next? And we have one more to lead us in. Space.com, June 20th, 2018. NASA has updated its plans to deflect potentially hazardous Earth-bound asteroids. Oh, good. I've been worried about that, Jason. <laughs> and none of them involve Bruce Willis. 
the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, released a new report today, which is June 20th, titled The National Near-Earth Object Preparedness Strategy and Action Plan. The 18-page document outlines the steps that NASA and the Federal Emergency Management Agency will take over the next 10 years to both prevent dangerous asteroids from striking Earth and prepare the country for the potential consequences of such an event. Officials with NASA, FEMA, and the White House discussed the new asteroid mitigation strategies in a teleconference with the media today. An asteroid impact is one of the possible scenarios that we must be prepared for, Leviticus Lewis, chief of FEMA's National Response Coordination Branch, told reporters <laughs> during the teleconference, adding that a catastrophic asteroid strike is a low-probability but high-consequence event for which some degree of preparedness is necessary. This plan is an outline not only to enhance the hunt for hazardous asteroids, but also to better predict their chances of being an impact threat well into the future and the potential effects that it could have on Earth, NASA's Planetary Defense Officer Lindley Johnson said during the teleconference. Johnson added that the plan will help NASA step up our efforts to demonstrate possible asteroid deflection and other mitigation techniques and to better formalize across the U.S. government the processes and protocols for dissemination of the best information available so that timely decisions can be made. Protecting Earth from incoming asteroids will be a huge job. But don't expect astronauts to do it, NASA said. That's something relegated to the movies. It makes a good movie, but we do not see in our studies any technique that would require the involvement of astronauts, Johnson said, adding that NASA's proposed asteroid deflection techniques would all be done by robotic spacecraft. <laughs> Wowie kazowie, man. So <laughs> I don't even know where, where to stick the needle in here, Jason. Let's, let's start with Leviticus Lewis, the chief of FEMA's National Response Coordination Branch. Man, Leviticus Lewis, that's some old school. As a matter of fact, it's Old Testament, isn't it? <laughs> so let's just say it's the law, because if I'm not mistaken, isn't that what Leviticus actually means? But I mean, come on, man. Um, Human beings have been here since the beginning of time, as far as we know, and all of a sudden, uh, we got to worry about junk coming in from space. Everyone knows my stance. Uh, nothing leaves this place. Nothing comes in from space. We're in a closed system. That's my point of view. Uh, I imagine there'll be plenty of people listening that may have a different point of view, uh, but Come on here. Really? We're, we're going to this is this is akin to what's the latest thing our, our president has launched here, Jason, the Space Force or whatever it is. Yep. Um, these these are cartoons, man. These are cartoons. Go ahead. <laughs> so a state of emergency is a situation in which a government is empowered to perform actions that it would normally not be permitted. A government can declare such a state during a disaster, civil unrest or armed conflict. Such declaration alerts citizens to change their normal behavior and orders government agencies to implement emergency plans. Justitium is its equivalent in Roman law, a concept in which the Senate could put forward a final decree, Senatus Consultum Ultimum, that was not subject to dispute. State of emergency can also be used as a rationale or pretext for suspending rights and freedoms guaranteed under a country's constitution or basic law. The procedure for and legality of doing so vary by country. Of course, we will be focusing on the United States. So let me put something really simple out here for you folks right now. They're not rights if they can be taken away. Well, whoever wrote the definition of the emergency must have been very familiar with Palpatine here. Uh, and, and you're right, Jason. So what this basically says, and of course it references Rome, what doesn't. Uh, so if we want to go back to ancient Rome, you can even know the name of this idea. That's how long it's been around. If there's an emergency, uh, you do what you're told. All your rights are out the window. And that really starts to define the modern era, in my view. But considering the platform we're delivering this information on, maybe we should keep moving along here, Jason. The Constitution explicitly provides some emergency powers. Congress may authorize the government to call forth the militia to execute the laws, suppress an insurrection, or repel an invasion. Congress may authorize the government to suspend consideration of writs of habeas corpus when in cases of rebellion or invasion the public safety may require it. 
Felony charges may be brought without presentment or grand jury indictment in cases arising in the militia when in actual service in time of war or public danger. A state government may engage in war without Congress's approval if actually invaded or in such imminent danger as will not admit of delay. Aside from these, many provisions of law exist in various jurisdictions which take effect only upon an executive declaration of emergency. Some 500 federal laws take effect upon a presidential declaration of emergency. The National Emergencies Act regulates this process at the federal level. It requires the president to specifically identify the provisions activated and to renew the declaration annually so as to prevent an arbitrarily broad or open ended emergency. Presidents have occasionally taken action justified as necessary or prudent because of a state of emergency, only to have the action struck down in court as unconstitutional. A state governor or local mayor may declare a state of emergency within his or her jurisdiction. This is common at the state level in response to natural disasters. The Federal Emergency Management Agency maintains a system of assets, personnel, and training to respond to such incidents. For example, on December 10, 2015, Washington State Governor Jay Inslee declared a state of emergency due to flooding and landslides caused by heavy rains. The 1977 International Emergency Economic Powers Act allows the government to freeze assets. Limit trade and confiscate property in response to an unusual and extraordinary threat to the United States that originates substantially outside of it. As of 2015, more than 20 emergencies under the IEEPA remain active regarding various subjects, the oldest of which was declared in 1979 with regard to the government of Iran. Another ongoing national emergency, declared after the September 11th attacks, authorizes the president to retain. Or reactivate military personnel beyond their normal term of service. And in fact, there are currently 28 national emergencies that are ongoing. <laughs> yeah, once you get an emergency, they never stop. So let's ask some simple questions here now that people kind of understand what can happen. Some 500 federal laws taking effect upon a presidential declaration of emergency. And later on in this, Jason's going to show you just how many emergencies have been declared and that most of them get renewed over and over and over, or the, the legalistic things around them do, anyhow. But I would ask, Jason,、um, how important. Is a cell phone alert going to play into the idea of what you just read? And for that matter, what about the media and the news? How critical a role do they play in the ideas you just outlined? I'm just asking, man. Well, I'm going to say they're very important because most people will believe anything that comes across from mainstream news sources or from directly from the government, all that. I think they're incredibly important. You know what's funny about this? We live in an age where science is the be all and end all. And what science tries to do is prove outright that a thing is true or a thing is not true. And in this, For, for like the one time you can point at in modern life, science is thrown aside because nowhere in these ideas is the requirement ever put forward that the emergency needs to be proven as real. Basically, what it comes down to is someone says this is an emergency in the case of the president.、Um, and I am being a bit broad here, but wouldn't it be quite a thing, Jason, to have someone actually write into these supposed rules and regulations, which I imagine get violated all the time, that the onus of proving authenticity? Authenticity of the emergency is part of the requirement. Wouldn't that be a thing? I don't think that happens. It's just accepted that if they say it's, it is a thing, it is a thing. And again, we can reference the Star Wars analogy just because who knows how many of the things that the big bad guy was coming up with then pushed into reality as a result of all of his hey, let's, let's create a, a problem here and get everyone fighting. Well, it's, it's flaunting. You know, the, what you opened with the Star Wars idea is flaunting in your face the problematic nature of what you just read. There's no checks and balances, is there? This is an easy way for anyone to misuse power, isn't it?、Um, and we even have such franchises as Star Wars, which have thrown it right in your face to show you soup to nuts exactly how it is done. And、uh, I think we could probably poll the listeners out there and pick any number of emergencies from recent news cycles in the past few years. And we would have a number of them that don't accept the narrative that we've been handed about any given narrative. So, I mean, it kind of points to what's going on here. This basically, to me, is a backdoor 
to exactly what's demonstrated in the Star Wars franchise. Just as a reminder, let's go over what habeas corpus is. It is a recourse in law challenging the reasons or conditions of a person's confinement under color of law. A petition for habeas corpus is filed with a court that has jurisdiction over the custodian, and if granted, a writ is issued directing the custodian to bring the confined person before the court for examination into those reasons or conditions. The suspension clause of the United States Constitution specifically included the English common law procedure in Article 1, Section 9, Clause 2, which demands that the privilege of the writ of habeas corpus shall not be suspended unless when in cases of rebellion or invasion the public safety may require it. So once again, they're not rights if they can be taken away. You know, the last part of this is worded kind of funny. I mean, so is is that last part part of the invasion idea, or is it simply whenever someone says public safety is threatened, um, these things can come in? But, you know, we've had a number of people on during the law series, and can you imagine what at least three of those people would have to say about the idea of habeas corpus or a person being subject to a writ? Um, it goes on and on, Jason. So let's start getting some of these other things out there. The National Emergencies Act. Enacted September 14, 1976, a United States federal law passed to stop open-ended states of national emergency and to formalize the power of Congress to provide certain checks and balances on the emergency powers of the president. The act of Congress imposes certain procedural formalities on the president when invoking such powers. The perceived need for the law arose from the scope and number of laws granting special powers to the executive in times of national emergency. The H.R. 3884 legislation was passed by the 94th United States Congress and signed by the 38th President of the United States, Gerald R. Ford, on September 14, 1976. So, legislation passed in the most maligned of months back in 1976. So, here it is, Jason, um, a, at least a, a an effort to give the appearance that checks and balances. But we've got to wonder, has any of this ever been implemented? Have these supposed checks and balances ever been exercised, I would ask? Right. All right. So, let me see if I got this right. On an average day... A human being in the United States may or may not have the rights they think they have. Basically, to sum that up, I guess it comes down to what a human being asserts their rights may be. But in a state of emergency, that mystical state that nobody knows exists in the United States, in a state of emergency, uh, there, there are no rights at all, are there? I guess. There's rights if you're allowed to have them. <laughs> it's whatever they want to say it is. Well, that's really not a right, right? <laughs> I mean, you're, you're either born with a right or you're not born with a right. Um, yeah, let's, let's keep moving. So let's talk about Executive Order 12148. This executive order transfers emergency functions to the Federal Emergency Management Agency. All functions vested in the president that have been delegated or assigned to the Defense Civil Preparedness Agency, Department of Defense, are transferred or reassigned to the director of the Federal Emergency Management Agency. All functions vested in the president that have been delegated or assigned to the Federal Disaster Assistance Administration, Department of Housing and Urban Development, are transferred or reassigned to the director of the Federal Emergency Management Agency, including any of those functions redelegated or reassigned to the Department of Commerce with respect to assistance to communities in the development of readiness plans for severe weather-related emergencies. Now, what this all has to do is that FEMA, if the president declares a national emergency, can have the entire, I don't want to paint too broad of a stroke here, but pretty much the entirety of the control of the United States, probably with some exceptions, but the main infrastructure would be transferred to the director of FEMA if they decided to do so. <laughs> so do you remember back in high school where they're teaching everyone about the supposed continuity of government? You know, if something happens to the president, this person gets it. We even had uh, in the 70s, I think it was, someone, uh, a president got injured or something. I forget exactly. Was it Reagan? I think it might have been Reagan. And the wrong guy stands up and says, okay, I'm in control of the government now. And it was like a big thing in the news because everyone was taught in high school what the continuity of government is. But, I mean, this kind of throws all that on its ear doesn't it, Jason? It does. What's so special about FEMA that they're going to be in control, and why was it created and all that? And that's what we're about to talk about. So the official narrative on FEMA, which of course is the Federal Emergency Management Agency, it is an agency of the United States Department of Homeland Security, at least it is now, 
initially created by Presidential Reorganization Plan No. 3 of 1978 and implemented by two executive orders signed into effect by Jimmy Carter on April 1, 1979. The agency's primary purpose is to coordinate the response to a disaster that has occurred in the United States and that overwhelms the resources of local and state authorities. The governor of the state in which the disaster occurs must declare a state of emergency and formally request from the president that FEMA and the federal government respond to the disaster. The only exception to the state's gubernatorial declaration requirement occurs when an emergency or disaster takes place on federal property or to a federal asset. So that's the official narrative. We're going to tear this apart, though. <laughs> so thanks for the history lesson, Jason, because all my life since Jimmy Carter, I always thought Jimmy Carter didn't get anything done. Goes to show <laughs> Mr. Carter actually did get something done, didn't he? <laughs> he seems to have been a bit of a setup guy because we know that the whole Iran affair was leading in to make Ronald Reagan look really good. Well, that that's a whole story on its own, but it goes to show even uh, a peanut farmer remembered by history as being weak and never accomplishing anything. Uh, he had quite a bit to do with the uh, installation of FEMA, did he not? And I would notice even the name of it, the Presidential Reorganization Plan Number 3, almost makes me feel like we should have went for the reorganization plans number one and two just to see what's there. But anyhow, go ahead. Let's talk about the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, IEEPA, enacted October 28, 1977, a United States federal law authorizing the president to regulate commerce after declaring a national emergency in response to any unusual and extraordinary threat to the United States, which has a foreign source. The H.R. 7738 legislation was passed by the United States 95th Congressional Session and signed by the U.S. President Jimmy Carter on December 28, 1977. Wow. Um, you know, I wonder if there's any way we could ever see that when all these acts and things and Jimmy Carter setting up things, is there any way to associate those things in an overarching manner? Uh, let me see here. October 20. Oh, there it is. Let me count the ways. There's an association, Jason. But I think in hour one, that's about what we can say about it, eh? <laughs> yeah. Now, there are currently 28 active national emergencies. These national emergencies stretch back as far as 1979 and have been signed over and over again every year. And, and let me be very clear, all 28 of these have all been renewed because they have to be every year by each sitting president since they were initially signed into effect and almost all were done by executive order. So executive order seems to be that all of a sudden, because of a supposed emergency, one individual can act as a dictator in some ways. But let me see if I got this straight, Jason. Uh, let me see if you can clarify this for me because I'm a bit slow today. So are you saying that in past history, which we'll give the dates for, there have been 28 active national emergencies which have all consistently been renewed to the modern day? That is correct, and we're going to go through them all. Boy, I'm learning so much from this episode. Thanks, Jason. Go ahead. Now, let's give the mainstream definition of what an executive order actually is. It is a directive issued by the President of the United States that manages operations of the federal government and which has the force of law. The legal or constitutional basis for executive orders has multiple sources. Article 2 of the United States Constitution gives the President broad executive and enforcement authority to use, at their discretion, to determine how to enforce the law or to otherwise manage the resources and staff of the executive branch. The ability to make such orders is also based on express or implied acts of Congress that delegate to the president some degree of discretionary power. This is called delegated legislation. Like both legislative statutes and regulations promulgated by government agencies, executive orders are subject to judicial review and may be overturned if the orders lack support by statute or the Constitution. Major policy initiatives require approval by the legislative branch, but executive orders have significant influence over the internal affairs of government, deciding how and to what degree legislation will be enforced, dealing with emergencies, waging wars, and in general, fine-tuning policy choices in the implementation of broad statutes. Being the head of state and the head of the government of the United States, as well as being the commander-in-chief of the United States Armed Forces, 
Only the President of the United States can issue an executive order. All right, I got to ask more questions, Jason. I'm so confused here. So um, these these directive issues issued by the president, which is called an executive order, is subject to judicial review and may be overturned if the orders lack a support by a statute or the Constitution. But I'm kind of confused here because didn't we just say a little while ago that the Constitution becomes suspended in the case of an emergency? Well, your rights certainly can be, so I guess it comes down to the legislative and judicial branches to have final say over things, but it seems to me that as far as these 28 things are concerned, they're quite okay with them. Boy, very confusing here. So the judiciary can review or has to review an executive order, and if there's no statute or the Constitution to support it, it needs to be struck down. But yet, we just read, if I'm not mistaken, maybe I'm mistaken here, Jason, if there's a state of emergency, the Constitution can be suspended. Very confusing all this, isn't it? You know, it is. And it makes you wonder just how easy it could possibly be for someone to become a dictator with the stroke of a pen. Ah, that could never happen in the United States. Let's just keep moving along. What is this, Star Wars or something? There's one other thing that a president can do, and that is a presidential proclamation. And this is a statement issued by a sitting president on an issue of public policy and is a kind of presidential directive. A presidential proclamation is an instrument that states a condition, declares a law and requires obedience, recognizes an event, or triggers the implementation of a law by recognizing that the circumstances described in the law have been realized. Proclamations issued by the U.S. president fall into two broad categories ceremonial proclamations that designate special observances or celebrate national holidays, and, more importantly, substantive proclamations that usually relates to the conduct of foreign affairs and other sworn executive duties. These may be, but are not limited to, matters of international trade, the execution of set export controls, the establishment of tariffs, or the reservation of federal lands for the benefit of the public in some manner. Unless authorized by Congress, a president's proclamation does not have the force of law. If Congress were to pass an act that would take effect upon the happening of a contingent event, and subsequently the president proclaimed that the event happened, then the proclamation would have the force of law. Well, let's ask some more questions here. Do you remember way back when the president, I forget, was it an act or a proclamation? What was it, Jason, when the president decided that the people couldn't hold on to gold anymore? Do you remember? Oh, that's a good one. I believe that was an executive order that got turned into a law. And in fact, it was Executive Order 6102. This was a United States presidential executive order signed on April 5th, 1933 by President Franklin D. Roosevelt, forbidding the hoarding of gold coin, gold bullion, and gold certificates within the continental United States. The limitation on gold ownership in the U.S. was repealed after President Gerald Ford signed a bill legalizing private ownership of gold coins, bars, and certificates certified by an act of Congress, which went into effect after December 31, 1974. (laughs) The order was made under the authority of the Trading with the Enemy Act of 1917, as amended by the Emergency Banking Act the previous month. So, since this was an executive order... Obviously, the judicial and legislative branch were okay with what Roosevelt did because it was put into effect. Well, let's see. So it goes into effect in 1933. Let me count the ways. Um, And then it stays in effect all the way till Mr. Gerald Ford. What's that? The 70s or something? I think he gave the date. Doesn't really matter here. There are endless things people can look up online that point out that what the president did was he did this and then he gave it to, I think it was the postmaster general. um, And it went through the legal system many times. Predominantly, it was said that the president is not a dictator and that he has no authority to direct the people to do anything with regard to gold or anything else. Um, So I would ask, if this was an executive order, didn't the judiciary have a responsibility to see if what the president was doing is legal? This is also confusing, but I think, Jason, to keep this moving for hour one so we don't stick our foot too far into the cauldron, uh, we need to go over uh, a bunch of states of emergency. Is that what we're about to do, executive orders based on states of emergency, or is it something else? Nope, we're going to go through the 28 of them one by one, and let's see if we have any extra thoughts to contribute to them. 
So let's just ask the question one more time. So if I'm not mistaken, what your these 28 executive orders are based on a state of emergency. A state of emergency has a shelf life, which has to be renewed. So starting all the way back in 1979, where we're going to begin with this, is it true that every single one of these 28 executive orders has been renewed and is still in force today based on a state of emergency? That is correct. So starting with the one with Jimmy Carter, Executive Order 12170, every president afterwards, which would, of course, be Reagan, George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, Barack Obama, and even now still continuing with President Donald Trump. These things keep getting signed year after year after year. Man, you can't let a good emergency go to waste. It goes to show, man. We could all learn something here, I guess. Yeah. So the first one, Executive Order 12170, blocking Iranian government property, signed into effect November 14th, 1979. And what this is referring to is the Iranian hostage situation. Well, that has directly to do with the appearance that we all have from history of Jimmy Carter, right? Jimmy Carter was going to go in and rescue those people. But lo and behold, all he managed to do was kill some soldiers, if I remember correctly, and crash some uh, helicopters out in the desert. But lo and behold, Ronbo, the very mighty, held up by the media as the new strong guy coming in, comes into power. And guess what? No military action needed. Uh, if I remember correctly, the hostages are so-called hostages for this uh, uh, all the world's a stage event were just released because everyone was afraid of Ronbo, as he was called at the time, of course, mimicking the idea of Rambo, the new President Reagan coming in, uh, being propped up as mighty. Next one, we're all the way up to the Clinton era. Executive Order 12938, proliferation of weapons of mass destruction, November 14th, 1994. You got to wonder on this one, I mean, who can forget the lead up to the uh, to the Gulf War, right? Uh, Colin Powell sitting there where it was in the UN, or I forget where he was, ensuring everyone that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction, later admitted, of course, that it was all nonsense. Next one, 12947, prohibiting transactions with terrorists who threatened to disrupt the Middle East peace process, <laughs> January 23rd, 1995. <laughs> so wait a minute. I think there's pictures of our government out there shaking hands with Saddam Hussein among others. So I think they might have I think they might have violated their own order here, but anyhow, uh, so much for that idea. Next is 12957 prohibiting certain transactions with respect to the development of Iranian petroleum resources, March 15th, 1995. Boy, a lot of these have to do with the Middle East, Jason. I wonder why. Go ahead. 12978, message to the Congress reporting on narcotics traffickers centered in Colombia, April 23rd, 1996. <laughs> so come on, th this has to be disingenuous. I mean, this is just a joke on us, right? This isn't actual history, is it, Jason? I mean, come on. There's a there's a program on television right now called Snowfall, basically stating outright that the CIA was behind the whole crack cocaine uh, influx into uh, Los Angeles County. Uh, this has to be a joke, doesn't it? One would think. <laughs> Next, we have Proclamation 6867. Regulations of the Anchorage and Movement of Vessels with Respect to Cuba, March 1st, 1996. Gotta wonder how long this one's gonna go on. It looks like Cuba's being brought back into the fold now. I think we're just about to be friends again with Cuba and people are gonna go there freely once again. Who knows, maybe we can even smoke Cuban cigars without going to jail. Hard thing to know. Executive Order 13067, Blocking Sudanese government property and prohibiting transactions with Sudan, November 3rd, 1997. So all the way back in 97, they were putting all these executive or orders forward, and look what's happened in the new new millennium here. Um, they just happen to relate to all the actions that have, have been taken there. Interesting. 13219, blocking property of persons who threaten international stabilization efforts in the Western Balkans, June 26, 2001. Go ahead, man. 13222, continuation of export control regulations, August 17, 2001. Keep on trucking. Proclamation 7463. This is the big one, folks. Declaration of national emergency by reason of certain terrorist attacks. 
September 14, 2001. Well, that's kind of worded funny. By reason of certain terrorist attacks, well, I guess they must be certain. I think it was within 24 hours they had them all named, right? Um, and this goes into effect, what, three days later, huh? So these certain terrorists did their attack on the 11th, and this came out on the 14th. Interesting, Jason. And everything from here on out relates back to 2001. Yeah, just burn through them. I'm not even going to comment. Just burn through them real quick. People can get the order and look it up by number if they choose to. 13224, blocking property and prohibiting transactions with persons who commit, threaten to commit or support terrorism, September 23, 2001. 13228, blocking property of persons undermining democratic processes or institutions in Zimbabwe, March 6, 2003. 13303, Protecting the Development Fund for Iraq and Certain Other Property in Which Iraq Has an Interest, May 22, 2003. 13338, Blocking Property of Certain Persons and Prohibiting the Export of Certain Goods to Syria, May 11, 2004. 13405, Blocking Property of Certain Persons Undermining Democratic Processes or Institutions in Belarus, June 16, 2006. 13413, blocking property of certain persons contributing to the conflict in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, October 27, 2006. Now, I'd like to point out something here. What does that have to do with a national emergency inside the country, the <laughs> United States? Well, it's funny. It's even the wording of it, blocking property. Well, if you can do that, it's not really their property, is it? Uh, I would say. And by the way, it was Belarus was 13405. Go ahead, man. Executive Order 13441, blocking property of persons undermining the sovereignty of Lebanon or its democratic processes and institutions, August 1st, 2007. Executive Order 13466, continuing certain restrictions with respect to North Korea and North Korean nationals, June 26, 2008. Next, 13536, blocking property of certain persons contributing to the conflict in Somalia, April 12, 2010. 13566, blocking property and prohibiting certain transactions related to Libya, February 25, 2011. 13581, blocking property of transnational criminal organizations, July 25, 2011. 13611, blocking property of persons threatening the peace, security, or stability of Yemen, March 16, 2012. Hold on here, Jason. I'm, I'm going to give you a break here. From 13660, dropping a few in between, all the way up to 13712, we're basically blocking the property of certain people with respect to a certain area, many of them in the Middle East, some of them in South America. Let's go ahead and move on. But let's suffice it to say each of these executive orders is constantly renewed nonstop, isn't it? Very, very true. Year after year after year, these things are still considered enough of a threat that a national emergency is considered regarding each of these situations, up to and including President Donald Trump. So just think about that for a moment, folks. And go look up the rest of these. Now, the United States Department of Homeland Security, or the DHS, is a cabinet department of the United States federal government with responsibilities in public security roughly comparable to the interior or home ministries of other countries. Its stated missions involve anti-terrorism, border security, immigration and customs, cybersecurity, and disaster prevention and management. It was created in response to the September 11, 2001 attacks and is the youngest United States Cabinet Department. It began its existence when President George W. Bush announced the establishment of the Office of Homeland Security, the OHS, to coordinate homeland security efforts. The full-blown Department of Homeland Security was established on November 25, 2002 by the Homeland Security Act of 2002. It was intended to consolidate U.S. executive branch organizations related to homeland security into a single cabinet agency. Its stated goal is to prepare for, prevent, and respond to domestic emergencies, particularly terrorism. On March 1, 2003, DHS absorbed the Immigration and Naturalization Services and assumed its duties. In doing so, it divided the enforcement and services functions into two separate and new agencies, Immigration and Customs Enforcement and Citizenship and Immigration Services. The investigative divisions and intelligence gathering units of the INS and Customs Service were, were merged, forming Homeland Security Investigations. 
Additionally, the border enforcement functions of the INS, including the U.S. Border Patrol, Customs Service, and the Animal Implant Health Inspection Service, were consolidated into a new agency under DHS, U.S. Customs and Border Protection. The Federal Protective Service falls under the National Protection and Programs Directorate. So one of the things you see as a side effect, like when I drive from Rhode Island to California, uh, back to my home state, uh, there are checkpoints now. And the funny thing is, is we got to these checkpoints. There's a number of them once you get past Texas. I think we did three uh, from Texas forward going into California on the southern route anyhow. But there's really no way into San Diego County anymore without going through these checkpoints. And we looked up the rules behind them. And the interesting thing is, is what's stated is that they have the right to stop you, which goes against the Constitution, I might add, because we can freely travel without being impeded. Uh, of course, there's an emergency here because this is all referencing 9-11. But it says that they must quickly, as quickly as possible, determine that you're a U.S. citizen and send you on your way. In fact, that is not what we see there. The last checkpoint I was at had a totally blonde, blue-eyed family pulled over in a brand new SUV with all their luggage pulled out. Um, so there's that, but I wonder if there's, well, I guess they related themselves. So this is all on the tail of what happened on that fateful September day back in 2001. But let's see, when was the Department of Homeland Security established? November 25. Hmm. For those with half a brain, we can count the ways. Can we not, Jason? Always. Definitely always. Always. Now, here's the thing. We have to accept the fact that if it was desired by a sitting president, the entire country could be put, for whatever reason that they'd come up with for a national emergency, under the control of FEMA. That means that the director of FEMA is now the most important and most powerful person in the country at that point. Well, let me ask a question here, Jason. Does that mean that a single man, in this case, the president, could make a dictate and suspend the Constitution of the United States? That can't be true, right? That's not, that's not what the founding fathers were all about in the United States of America. Tell me I'm wrong. Well, you are wrong unless the legislative and judicial branch want to step in. So whatever the emergency is, it must be a really good one to make sure that they don't try and override the executive order. Well, let's see. Do we have any past examples? So in 33, Roosevelt basically told everyone, hand in your gold. He did it through the Postmaster General. And in later decades, it was viewed uh, through legal channels everywhere as basically an illegal act. The president has no authority, they said in those legal briefs, to dictate to the people to do anything, particularly with regard to their wealth. And yet it happened. So I would ask, uh, why didn't the judiciary come to that conclusion many decades before the, the legal circles in this country did? But anyhow, I, I, I guess I'm just confused. It's all so complicated, Jason. How, how can an average American ever keep up? Well, go along to get along, because if they decide to do this, there's really nothing you can do about it. Hmm, maybe everyone should go back and watch those great Star Wars prequels, 1, 2, and 3. All right, so we went through all of the FEMA, emergency, all that kind of stuff. But what if there really was some big situation that went down that really could have taken a huge chunk out of the government? Well, they have something called the Continuity of Government, or the COG, to continue going on after the event of a major emergency. And this is the principle of establishing defined procedures that allow a government to continue its essential operations in case of a catastrophic event, such as, the example always used, <laughs> nuclear war. Oh, man. In the United States, at least, the COG is not limited to just nuclear emergencies. The Continuity of Operations Plan was activated, of course following the September 11th, 2001 attacks. Well, there's there's an older idea for continuity of government, too, which has to do, as I said, I believe, I'm, I'm just pulling it out of my hat, when Reagan was shot, who was going to be in charge now that the president was in the hospital? And, of course, all the way back then, we saw the wrong guy stand up on national news and say, I'm in charge here now. Anyone could go back and look this up. But, Jason, I'm looking at the bullet points ahead, and I'm reasonably sure we have to push these all into the second hour. 
So, you know, we put out information here, and everything we put out in the first hour in the past has been subject to censorship. What we have done, in fact, here is read straight from the acceptable timeline and definitions that are available for the average person to try to understand basically how government works, how the departments of government works, how does the presidency work. Um, and we're forced to do it in this way with not much more commentary. Having said that, we're going to push all else to the second hour. And as a matter of fact, we still have some questions submitted by subscribers, which we will likely cover on the tail end. Anyhow, Jason and I have a new live radio show on Truth Frequency Radio Sunday nights at 6 p.m. where there is a live chat. It's free to everyone. You register free for live chat. Um, and I hope to see you all over at crow777radio.com where free speech rules. And truly, um, there's so much more that could have been said here. Um, and more will be said in the second hour. But that's it. That brings episode 126 to a close. Again, I hope to see you all over at crow 777 radio.com where free speech is the rule there it is man cheers